Welcome to the Vigor Life Podcast, a source of inspiration, lessons, stories, skill sets, mindsets, and strategies to invigorate and expand all areas of your life. Let's go. What is going on? Vigor Life Podcast is back. I cannot believe that. The amount of times that we've talked, had you out for a seminar, been on your show, and you still haven't been a podcast. But you know what? This means we're going to dive deeper. Um, here we are with the one and only Derek Hansen. Pleasure to have you on the show, my friend. Thank you for having me, Luca. Thank you for having me down at your facility over a year ago. That was uh, I had a ball there. That was great. Great facility. Great people. And yeah, I yeah, I can't wait to get back down. Man, it's phenomenal. And for anybody that's watching this on YouTube, you can see that he has a vintage basketball uh, jersey. So, you know, just just repping here. We're repping here. Um, but we we actually had a, a little bit of a conversation about, you know, what we'll talk about. And and I'm I was super excited just talking to you about this because, again, I just get super curious. And like you are, you know, by the way, guys, if you have not like heard of Derek, you got to go. We'll talk about the websites and everything, but you got to follow his stuff. Um, I, I actually love the way that you present information. I think that's one of the coolest things. I know you're writing a lot again. Um, on your websites, which we'll share at the end. But if you um, if you go on Derek's Instagram, he has a phenomenal way of relaying information in infographics. By the way, like you'd look at this and be like, this guy is a master infographicer. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like where it's like, what, how is one picture relaying so much information that's clear and concise? So I got I to gotta give you props for that because I, I really, really enjoy that. And almost always uh, when I see some of your stuff, I always share it because uh, and people will hit me up and be like, oh, this is great. Uh, because it is so clear. But with, you know, with that said, I, I really wanted to go into, you know, we said two topics, but, um, you know, I, I've trained a lot of pro athletes, but really I train even more and we train a lot more. Um, and even the bit that I would say the gym owners that I coach train a lot of general population that, you know, want to have the show on the go. Like people want to look good, but they want to perform. And more and more, I'm getting that conversation where, Guys and girls are saying stuff like, hey, I want to be more athletic, you know, and they're 35, they're 40, they're 45. Like I have a, I have a client, uh, Tim Adams, someone in mind that, you know, is 55. He's had a bunch of knee surgeries, you know, he's cancer, but overcome all that stuff, plays soccer, kind of like uh, semi-pro-ish, you know, uh, golf, all wants to be an athlete, wants to be athletic, and he's doing a great job with it. But, you know, it's also one of those things that when people jump into fast, you're seeing a lot of injuries, right? A lot of injuries, knees, Achilles, um, all types of stuff. So I want to kind of break it down into two different things. You know, one is becoming, and especially like your expertise in, in, in like speed and acceleration, you know, if somebody's like over 35 and they're like, Hey, you know, I want to get back to being more athletic again. And, you know, how does that look like how, you know, if you look at the overarching principles of how you'd get somebody there in the safest way possible, um, and, and, you know, uh, even your thoughts on strength training. And, and again, you know, if I look at the piece of the pie, how much of what they should be doing. And then al also the second part we'll talk about that one is, is, you know, just as intriguing, if not even more is the injury part of it. You know, um, it, that's another thing we mentioned right before the show, which was the, yes, the instances of injuries going up in the NFL and, or, and, or NBA, but also just in general population, it's almost similar, the rise of you know, the ACL tears and, the, and Achilles tears and, and chat a little bit about that, but specifically how it pertain, pertains to like people that 
again, 30, 35 and over, want to be athletic, you know, and the, the, the smart way to minimize your risk, because obviously you can't eliminate risk, but to minimize risk of injuries. Yeah, it's it's really interesting because I think when something happens like that, like an Achilles tear or um, an ACL tear, a non-contact ACL tear in any sport, people want to blame something, right? Like they're like, oh, it's the turf, right? And then, oh, let's look at the numbers. Well, it's 50-50 grass versus turf uh, for both Achilles and ACL. So, okay, maybe there's something to do with the turf or the field, right? Maybe, you know, it could be better. Um, Well, what about the shoes? Well, yeah, it could be the shoes too. The shoes are changing and shoe companies uh, are always trying to come up with something unique, right? And, and I'm not saying, I, I, I was careful not to say better, but they want, they want to get, you know, market share through a design or a look or, you know, was back, back in the day it was signing an athlete, right? Michael Jordan. And we all saw that, uh, that Netflix, uh, uh, movie air. And Excellent. so that, that was a major impetus. Like let's sign an athlete. Like he set that off and now it's like, now it's technology. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it, you really have to break it down. And, and we've talked about this before. It's, it comes down to how you prepare yourself and it's the training, right? It's, it's always the preparation. So when you say, I'm a, or when I have somebody come to me, I'm a 35 year old male and I want to start sprinting and, or I want to get back into competitive soccer. Okay. Well, that's a process, a process, whatever you want to call it. It's, it's a drawn out plan that we have to put together and there has to be a a progression. So, and, and a lot of people don't want to hear that. I remember I, I, Mm -hmm. um, I was coaching or sorry, I was teaching a group of private sector triathlon coaches and so that's what they do they get ready for ironman triathlon because that there's a lot of rich people who want to do the ironman so they can tell their rich friends they did it right and (laughs) and they may have a bike rack on their lamborghini or something like that so weird stuff like that so um and people would come to them and say yeah the ironman is in four months can you get me ready it's like, well, the Ironman's like a 12 hour plus event, right? You want to get ready in four months, but that people want that instant gratification around everything now. So I, I just signed up, Luca, I just signed up for the men's basketball league. I haven't played in 10 years. <laughs> and you're like, wait a minute, put the mm-hmm. brakes on. So, so it's, it's very tough to one, if you're a business person and you want to attract clients to get people to buy into this progression piece, because if you don't do that, it's going to end badly. And and like you said, well, whatever we're seeing in professional sports is mirrored with what's happening in real life because people watch professional sports and they go, "Hey, I want to do that. I want to I, I want to get that feeling of you know winning and and being part of a team." But in both cases, they're not going through this process of like let's get ready gradually for training camp and then once we're in training camp how do we maintain that fitness throughout the year so that we're protected and all that i don't i don't think people are thinking about that they're just thinking let's do it and you know it's the cost of doing business if i blow that tissue out or you know that 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 achilles or whatever and unfortunately when it happens it's devastating emotionally and physically and you're going to be you're going to be wrecked for a while and it may change the course of your career. It may change, you know, if you're in the NFL, well, you know, 70% of those guys don't really make it back after they, they blow the Achilles out. Right. Damn, I didn't know that that number was that high, but 70%. Yeah. It, it's oh. really high. Right. 
And so, and then the other thing is if I'm, uh, say I'm a stockbroker and I blew it, you know, getting, jumping into men's, men's league basketball, well, that's going to impact your work, you know, your relationship with your kids. Can you go out and play with your kids? That's going to influence your body composition because now what are you going to do for six months? You're in a boot for most of that. Um, and, and it could affect your lifespan. Like they've looked at that, they've looked at ACLs and they've tracked people's lifespan and it does affect their cardiac health in the long run because it, it, you know, it, it, it sets them on a, uh, it, it, it takes them away from their regular routine. Right. So I think we have to really take this seriously. It's not as simple as like, ah, I'm on the shelf for six months, then I'm back at it. Right. So I, I, you know, we can really dive into this, but I think it's, it's really important for people to take this into consideration. Yeah, no, I think this is a great point. The whole, you know, the whole kind of short term gratification thing, um, you know, you can't, I always tell people like, look, you can't kind of cheat physiology and biology, like in a sense of like, uh, well, you know, I, I can, I can push through this one, or I'll just adapt faster. It's like, no, and I, I like to use an example. I'm, and I'd had a question before, which I wanted to ask you in a podcast, right, was, I've, you know, spent a lot of my life preparing and training at a very high level. I mean, I spent probably 15 years training six hours a day, right? Um, and yeah, I watched you do your box jumps and I'm like, holy, like, I wish I could do that. Like, I, I can still, you know, and, and that's the thing too. Like, I, I can still do a lot of stuff and I, I keep up with it and I do it consistently. But I'll go to the, for, for instance, summer starts and I'm like, great, nice outside here. I'm going to the track. Now, I, you know, I admit that I have a tendency to lean on the psychotic, right? But because, so I'll go there and I'm, you know, great, I'm outdoors. I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to go too crazy. So let me do my warm ups and then I'll do eight tens. I'll do five twenties, you know, I'll do, th but all of a sudden, you know, I'm going through, I'm, I'm doing stuff at the gym. I'm doing some sprints. I'm doing this, but all of a sudden, you know, I do, I do quite a bit next day. I'm like, holy moly. Right. I mean, obviously soreness, but also like the Achilles is tender. It's, it's inflamed. Right. And what, what it is, is that like, I went from, you know, gear one to like gear four pretty damn fast. And it's like a, a reminder. But the reason I bring that up is that like, I'm very trained compared to, uh, I would say most people, I mean, this is what I do and I'm, you know, training almost every day. Um, and I actually, I actually do jumps and sprints pretty much throughout the year, even though not like uh, longer ones throughout the year. And I still have to push the brakes on it and go, whoa, right? If I start doing this consistently, I'm putting myself at a higher risk of something happening. So now going back to if, you know, let's, let's take a, cause I think if we show a practical example and talk about it, I think it'll be a better picture for somebody. Yeah. But let's say somebody starts, you know, they've been doing some lifting two to three days a week, but nothing else. You know, they go in, they lift weights, haven't been doing a ton of conditioning, but then something happens. Maybe they watch a show and they're like, you know what? I want to feel like I did when I was playing ball in college. You know, I want to be more athletic and I want to get back out there. Like what is, and again, we're, we're, we're taking, you know, kind of like uh, Joe Schmo here as an example, right? Like, but what would that look like? You know, because I want, I want people to see a picture of the right way to do it so that they can compare and contrast to like, Oh shit, I've been doing it, you know, the wrong way and doing way too much. But if somebody came to you and said, Hey, you know, Derek, like, you know, I, I want to start playing basketball. Uh, my time, like, there's no timeline. I want you to give them kind of the advice on this, right? Uh, I haven't really done anything for, like, for 10 years, I haven't been on the court and been doing my thing. But, hey, you know what? I stay fit. I go live three days a week. 
uh, you know, I play with my kids, but other than that, like, that's it. Like what, like, how do you get back to that? Yeah, that's a very good question. And, and, and there's probably a couple of different ways, but I, I'm going to probably outline what I would do. And so you said they're probably lifting weights, say they're squatting, deadlifting, great. So their muscles probably have the strength that they need to get back into it. Now, uh, lifting is, is a pretty low velocity activity. Uh, yep. You'd agree, right? Yep. So if, if I, even if you put a tendo unit on and you measure bar speed, uh, Olympic lift might only be like 1.5 meters per second uh, velocity, right? So now, if you start running, now you get closer to five, six, seven meters per second, eight meters per second. So now, you know, we're five to 10 times faster. So we have to get closer to those contraction velocities and and the reflexes involved in doing that and and the connective tissue strength to to stretch very rapidly so now you you have to start working in more dynamic things and when i teach my course we go over marching in place skipping in place running in place and we start with little increments of like let's get off the ground this much and then let's build up a little bit more gradually so you're 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 training those reflexes that impact and that one there's an eccentric component and there's obviously a concentric component component and a plyometric component so even something as simple as hey let's go to go to go to luca's gym let's march off five yards and let's do little jumps double leg hops uh and, and not too high on the toes but you know little flat hops and let's get used to being elastic and you might do four sets of five yards okay great let's do a couple of marches and skips okay great and then the next day so you, it's exercise selection is be careful with your exercise selection and the other part is math let's go a little more each time let's add a set let's go a little farther maybe we go for 10 yards but you have to have an introduction of the activity which is like a little plyometric activity low amplitude and then over time it gets higher right or mm -hmm. you know in your gym you have some turf and maybe start on the softer turf and then we work onto the rubber uh flooring and then that's a little stiffer and so the progression involves uh exercise selection height of the jump then the volume of the jump so number and we say count the number of foot contacts so if it's 10 jumps we do three sets so that's 30 jumps and then the next time we'll do five we'll do 50 and then maybe we'll do 60 or 70 and we just start multiplying it out but it is a boringly uh, excruciating progression of like, let's be very careful with this. Because like you said, you can't go from just deadlifting and say, hey, let's go play some pickup basketball. Because guess what happens in pickup basketball? Change of direction, backpedal to forward sprint, where you're really stretching and putting a lot of force through that tendon. Um, so I, I think you have to start very basic. It could be jumps in place, jumps over distance, running in place, running over distance, up and down, like high knees. And then you might get into acceleration and then eventually change of direction. So when I when I um, explain this, I say drills on the spot or drills or jumps on the spot, drills and jumps over distance, then acceleration, you know, low velocity and then higher velocity up to faster running. So there is a conceptual progression of exercise and volume and intensity that we take into consideration. And this might be, unfortunately, it might be four to six weeks of you building up and ramping up all of this, just like a general prep program. It's so. actually, I mean, the thing is, is that when you, you know, when you break it down like that too, like four to six weeks is not that long of a time. I, I what I, What I mean by that is, 
buy into this process. And I think it's very important the way that you outline it, whether, you know, if you're a coach, uh, and, and by the way, we're talking a lot, you know, a lot of coaches listen to this podcast. And I would say, you know, if you look at the, the whole pie of all the coaches, you know, majority of our clients are not pro athletes, right? Even though it, you would actually be doing the same progressions, but probably starting at a little high, you know, higher level, because of course they're, they're doing this year round, hopefully, and they're more athletic and, and they're, uh, they're again on a higher level. But I think the important part is that, and what I've seen is that a lot of folks kind of just go off of a, um, all right, we'll do this and this versus the way that you lift weights. You know, you've basically explained accumulation, intensification and exercise selection, right? Doing it the same way that when a person comes in and they do four sets of five or 10 jumps, it's like, that's it. You know, and then you go into the rest of your stuff. You go into your training, you go into your lifts and so on and so forth. And then, OK, cool. A couple of days from now, it's going to be this much and it's going to be this much. And if people don't have the same organization of training when it comes to speed and plyos as they do for I'm doing eight reps, I'm doing nine reps, I'm putting five pounds more on the bar. And I think there's a huge problem with that, because if I were to train you lifting weights, the same that's the same way that some people do, uh, you know, starting to train for athleticism. You'd be like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> it's like, Let's start it's with like, one rep maxes. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's your first day. We're going to ramp up to two singles really heavy. Then we're going to do density blocks. We're going to do like 40,000 pounds of uh, volume today. <laughs> and you wouldn't be able to walk for like two weeks, right? And, and I think that's the first one is to be able to go like, you probably got to start slower and you have to track and have a organized progression over time to get to the place that you want to go. And to me, again, I think to say like, hey, six weeks, eight weeks isn't crazy. It actually gives you a, a plan and a path, which I think gives people some more certainty um, rather than, you know, I mean, imagine, but again, I want to use examples even in my, my own life, but um, I'm, I'm pretty prepped to go play basketball, but I went and played for an hour and a half when I didn't play for about, you know, competitive, when I didn't play for about a year. And I trained really hard, an hour and a half of basketball. The next day, I was like, holy shit. Because if, if I was to film that whole session, the amount of accelerations, decelerations, you know, lateral movements, jumps, stops, I mean, it would have been in the hundreds, if not thousands, if you combine them all, right? So essentially, yep. I, I went from zero to a thousand, right? But but thankfully, you know, I've, I've prepped my and trained my body to, to be at least at a pretty damn good position to do that. But when you get somebody that's like, you know, I'm going to start getting in shape. And part of my getting in shape is I'm going to lift weights. I'm going to go back to playing ball on the weekends, you know, and you're playing a game or two. You are literally going from level zero or one to like 49 or whatever it may be. It's such a huge jump that you are playing with fire. Right. I think that's a very, very important um concept and a thing to um to think about now here's here's a little bit of a question because I, I like to operationalize principles right so if somebody's lifting three days a week you know in and they have the ability to for instance like a turf at like there's a vigor a lot of places a lot of big box gyms to now have turfed areas and things of that nature is to add some um for example whether it's like their warm-ups have running drills mm -hmm. right a skips, B skips, uh, high knees, things of that nature, add that in and then add in some low level of 
plyometrics and possibly, you know, accelerations and sprints eventually. And in doing that, almost like in a microdosing fashion, you know, three days a week as they, but, but, but strategically build it up. Like you were mentioning, is that, is that a good approach for most people? Yeah, that's the easiest, most efficient way. And it's no different than, you know, I was talking to some uh, baseball guys, pro baseball, uh, strength and conditioning coaches, and we're constantly with that sport, you know, demanding the game schedule is, um, you know, it's like a game or every day or every other day or two games in a day. So they don't have a lot of time to work out. So then the the dosing has to be done as part of the warm up because you can't, you know, you just can't pull more energy from these guys. So, okay, well, what does that warm up look like? And as you said, it's, it's gradual at the beginning, and then you introduce the higher intensity components in small doses, so it doesn't exhaust them for the game. So I would say it's the same thing for general population clients is get into a routine. Uh, and at the beginning of the year, when you when you do your intake with them, that's part of the workout, but you get it to a point where they get in such good shape that now it's their warm up and they can handle it. But it's that steady repetition. Every time you see them, every con- point of contact is we're doing X amount of, of running A's. We're doing X amount of skips and jumps and plyos and foot contacts. So that box is checked off. You have that done. It, does it have to be extremely high intensity? No, it doesn't. Like we're finding out now that most aerobic work has to be zone two, right? Lower yep, and you yep. get the benefit for your health. So I would say it's the same thing. It doesn't have to be hurdle jumps. It can be little pogo jumps where you're getting the repetition and the frequency in and that's going to cover them off and that's going to thicken the tendon, right? Because any any uh, Achilles tendon rupture that that they've seen for the most part isn't like this really healthy tendon that's thick and then it just snaps like a cable. It's something that is atrophied because of poor circulation or there's been some degradation from overuse and it's fraying and fraying and then it goes. So we know that if we can offset that degradation and thicken that tendon through repetition in the right amounts, you're going to be healthier. It's just like bone health, right? How do you get bones stronger? Do you not exercise and and, and coddle them? No, you got to apply the right amount of stress. So I think you have to think of it in that way of regular exposure and the right progressive dosages. And then, you know, are they 100% protected? Not, no. You know, we know things happen, but you know that you're going to be much more prepared for anything else that you throw at them or if they go and play in their sports league. Um, Like you said, they'll be sore, but, you know, that's that's fine. That's normal, but you don't want them hurting themselves. Hey guys, it's Luca and I wanted to let you know about this year's Vagaro Iconic.23 Business Conference in San Diego. It is the fitness conference of the year. I mentioned that last year was my first time speaking at this event and it was incredible. Not just how I got treated, how the attendees got treated, how everything was organized and just the knowledge drop was incredible. So make sure you don't miss out on this knowledge and the networking opportunities that are gonna come at this event. It all takes place in September 24th and 25th in sunny San Diego. You can get your tickets today at iconic.vagaro.com and you can use the discount code LUCAH. So that's a capital L, lowercase U-K-A, and capital H. And for a limited time, you can get a discount. So I'm excited to see you in San Diego. Can't wait. It actually, you know, to, to touch on that, because I, I've been really intrigued about that topic, the degradation of, for instance, the Achilles. And, you know, a couple of things there. I mean, this is where I think a number of things come into play. Uh, number one, you mentioned 
like you have to expose it to that stimulus. Right. And again, most people are if they're thinking like I got to do the high speed stuff. But, you know, aerobic plyometrics, I think Joel, Joel made that term, maybe it was used before that. But uh, to be able to build up the volume at these lower levels is actually important because you need the blood flow going into, you know, because obviously yes. it doesn't get as much blood flow as, as muscles do. So you need to do that. And then, but what are some other ways um, apart? Because strength training is important. Like, I mean, one of the things I've started doing is, you know, pretty heavy eccentrics and isometrics uh, for my calves and Achilles and foot. Um, to, you know, and, and ranges and things of that nature. And it's not just one thing. Obviously, it's, it's a number of different things. But what are some things that you found or just research shows to be able to keep that essentially health and pliability and prevent degradation as you get older? Because I think uh, I was I was reading about this. I think it's after like the age of 30, 35 is where the Achilles really, really, once they started doing cadavers, they really start, started seeing that degradation speed up if you don't address it. Yeah. And I think it, it comes down to anything as you get older is like your regenerative abilities decline. So, you know, that damage that you did when you were 20 and, you know, you were sore for a day and you're, you're okay. Um, I find that if I do a workout that has any extra intensity, I'm sore almost every time now. Like I, 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 I don't build up that, that same resiliency because I just don't regenerate and I have to be careful. So so understanding from a programming point of view that you're not going to regenerate as fast means you have to space things out a little more broadly so that you don't have ongoing stress. Um, and then it comes down to all those regular things that we talk about is like, okay, what are you doing for strength training? And I, when I was an athlete, I remember doing a lot more calf raises, whether standing, seated. Yes. Um, but I don't see that in programming as much anymore. Um, you know, and, and remember the seated calf machine and all these other donkey calf or whatever, all these different things, I don't see them used as much. So maybe that's part of it. Maybe people are, are missing that component to strengthen and drive, you know, circulation into those tendons. Um, I don't know. What do you, I, I'm just curious. I, I was talking to somebody else about this, but I don't see calf work used as much anymore. I'm seeing a little bit of a comeback now. It could be because I'm in a bubble. So let me, let me preface that right meaning like i'm a geeky strength coach so i if i follow other geeky strength coaches they're like doing some calf stuff right but in general i actually barely see anybody doing it so i and i'm gonna be honest as well i mean i've done a lot of cleans and jumps and this that and the other i you know i've not done as much calf work in the last years and i legitimately kind of smacked myself in the face and i was like why the hell have you stopped i mean Think about this, it, the logic of something, right? Um, and you, you know what it was? Because I've never had big calves, okay? So it's, you know, sometimes it's a joke. You know, I po post the video on You and Arnold? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And, and, and pretty much it, somebody will be like, ah, oh, you don't work on your calves. And now the easy, the easy kind of, you know, answer to that is like, oh, man, my genetics. And I remember, poof, this is a while back. I did a... Uh, you know, I've, I'm fortunate enough. Pavel Tatsulin was, you know, mentored me back in the early 2000s when I started doing a lot of kettlebells and stuff. And I did, you know, uh, Power to the People and and um, uh, what was it called? Beyond Bodybuilding. There's a couple programs in there. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to work on my calves. And I did this, you know, fr high frequency, but low, uh, pretty high intensity, but low volume program. And in a matter of like 12 weeks, I got some extremely good results, you know? So I was like, you know what? Bullshit. Now I might never have calves with somebody that's got some wild genetics for calves, 
but I significantly got him stronger and bigger, significantly, right? And so I, I just remembered that and I was like, you know, this is dumb. And, and what triggered it was when I did that sprint session and I was like, man, my Achilles and calves are really tender. And I was like, well, what have I been doing for them strength training wise? Sure, yeah. I'm doing sprints, I'm doing plyos. Uh, you know, yeah, do they go along for the ride with other stuff that I do? Sure. But specifically for that, what have I been doing? And the answer was like very little. So then I started implementing them a couple of times a week. And like one day uh, I, I took one really hard tra training day away because I was doing four strength training days a week. And it started to be, you know, I trained really hard. So it started being a little bit too much. So I turned one day into what I call a weak link training day. So I just train weak links. So, you know, it's basically either stuff I want to bring up arms up or back. And I do a lot of like calves, footwork, Achilles, uh, FHL, you know, like in, and, and, and then also doing my lower body day, I've added some and it's made a big difference, not just in like, Hey, I can see my, the size of my calves getting bigger, but the strength, you know, yeah. I was, I was doing cat, you know, cause I'll usually do a safety squat bar, hold on to the, to the squat rack, you know, and do stuff on, um, on a slant board. And to get to get that end range and, you know, do long stretches at the end. And I mean, the weights that I've been able to use have gone up significantly. Like we're talking about, you know, 30 percent in a matter of like eight to 10 weeks. And I'm like, so, again, you all the all the force of anything that you do transfers through the foot. So, I mean, and by the way, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm being transparent here that even people to do this all day, every day kind of have blinders on sometimes oh, yeah. you know, and, and forget about it. But I was just like, hey, how much am I working on the strength of my foot, my calf, my Achilles tendon? Um, you know, if it's the thing that I literally will apply all the force through when I move through the ground. And so I think it's it's a matter of not like either or. I think it's and is like adding in the strength training. You know, I think I did a lot of Alex Natera stuff. I did a whole course and it was a good reminder of, you know, certain isometrics. I started doing you know, uh, loaded isometrics and then also long form isometrics. And that's made a really, really big difference. So I think that, you know, if, if you zoom out and you go like, well, sport happens on the feet. Okay. What are you doing for your feet? You know, and, and that, that includes mobility. Um, you know, started going back to doing a lot of mobility for the toe, especially big toes, but toes in general. And, um, you know, just doing like, for, for example, when I help, uh, People do squats. Like one of my primers for the squat is we just do calf raises with an extended stretch at the bottom. It's, yeah. You know, it's kind of like, hey, let's prime, you know, let's do some hamstring curls. Let's do some calf raises. Let's do some big toe, um, you know, isos and then go squat. And people are like, holy shit, this is the best squat it's ever felt. Yeah. So it's almost like, you know, we we were able to um, plug in some stuff that makes the squat feel better. But we're also working on the things that you don't work on most of the time. Oh, absolutely. Um, I remember I had a coach in the late 80s, and he was uh, Slovakian. And he he would come in and he would say, okay, today, all, all your deadlifts, I want you to finish up on your toes at the top of the lift, right? Mm -hmm. And then same with squats, like, and he would just drop them in once in a while, right? And we're like, oh, okay. Um, but it feels a little less stable up there. He's like, that's okay, I want to strengthen that, right? So, um, yeah, like little things that I did when I was younger that I'm starting to think about like, oh, that's why I never had any Achilles problems or hamstring problems because we did those exercises. Um, so yeah, I, I'm constantly, 
I mean, that's why it was good to keep a journal, right? I still go back and look at those training journals and go, oh, really? I did that. Huh? Okay. So you really have to revisit and and reevaluate yourself as a coach and and understand, okay, because you know how it is. You go to a conference and and people go to my conferences or my, my courses and they probably take, you know, 10 exercises and add it in. But when you add something in, do you have to get rid of something? And is some is that something that was good, right? To make everything fit. So you always have to have this ongoing assessment process around your programming and and what the impact is on yourself and your clients. And I mean, we all fall into, um, you know, I, I know that like when you learn something new, you get excited about it. So then it's like, oh, you add this thing. And then you're so excited about it. And then a year later, you're like, I stopped doing this other thing that was yes. actually really important. Right. And so over time, hopefully you do the Bruce Lee thing and, and figure it out to where you've created a system. And, and but, you know, to to kind of piggyback on that. So just because right now my I've kind of uh, my NFL guys dropped off because the season's starting. Right. But and they'll still come in, you know, once a week during the season just to kind of do the prehab stuff and, you know, recovery things. But the foot part, you know. This is, you know, we're talking about elite guys. And when we start doing foot stuff, I mean, their toes can barely move. Uh, very, very little ankle mobility, right? You try to get them up really high. I call it ballerina status, right? Yep. Like get them high, really high ballerina status on their, um, in, in plantar flexion, right? If they're doing a calf raise, I mean, they can't get there. So, you know, they're going like how, they're, they're asking me like, how the hell can you do that, bro? Like your heel is so far off the ground. And then I, I'm trying to explain that to them and say, listen, when you go and sprint and you strike in this position, right? Think about this. I said, like, you can't even get there. Now, imagine if you get there and there's a crazy amount of force in that position, you can't handle those forces. You can't even get there. Yeah. And, you know, or it's and, and the other way around too, right? Like your ankle basically doesn't even, you know, if I push it, we're basically at neutral, right? Like if I push it, you're at neutral, right? You live in plantar flexion. So now big, you know, old, I, I have a lot of, for some reason, I got a lot of online guys, like over the years, that's, that's a lot of the guys that I train. I mean, I train more than the online guys, but a lot of online guys. So you're 320, you're, you know, somebody's going at you, you step back, right? And you don't even have that door, I mean, that doors deflection, your foot turns out and crazy amount of force goes into one side of that Achilles tendon. Yes. I, I mean, dude, like that's how can we get you to move better, have more range, more control so you can redistribute that force a little bit more? Because if, if we can do it even a little bit more, you're safer. Yes. Right? yes. And so, huge, huge. And, 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 and the, the studies show that if somebody, you know, tears an ACL or and we see this all the time, guy tears an Achilles. Guess what happens to the other side? Well, he tears an ACL on the other side or tears an Achilles on the other side. Because now if you haven't rehabbed, like you said, and they can't get that strength out of that injured foot, that injured Achilles, the force has to go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And the repetitions in training camp and games is going to heavily weigh that other side and it's going to have a breaking point at some point. So like you said, if you don't get them back and get that that the range and the strength through range, the energy has to go somewhere else. And it's going to be bad if they can't equally distribute that. And so this is another thing um, that, that you brought up, which I, I want to ask because I actually was not aware of this, but is that now um, 
you're saying that like there's a lot of uh, uh, doctors that will actually go the route of not reattaching the Achilles. Yeah. And that is, I forgot what you said it's called. Non-surgical. It's just a non-surgical Achilles repair or a procedure. It's not even a procedure. All they do is they just put you in the boot and then, you know, plantar flex your foot so that, you know, the ends of the uh, Achilles can meet and refuse and join, right? And and scar down. Um, and when I first, like I have a friend up here who runs a parkour gym. And so he was like 30, early 30s, 31, and he ruptured his Achilles. And he said, I'm going to go non-surgical. I'm like, you're a parkour guy. Like, don't you think you should have that thing sewn down and welded back? Um, and he's like, no, this doctor recommended I go non-surgical. So he went non-surgical. And same time to return, right? But he's now jumping off buildings and doing all the stuff and has had no recurring issues with that Achilles. So um, wow. it, it's counterintuitive. You think you have to nail that thing back down. But I guess, you know, maybe in nature, if you did that, that's how it fixed it, you know? And um, and I don't know what happens. Like you've heard of like people rupturing their Achilles and then it goes up into the calf and yep. up behind the knee. I assume gravity pulls it back down. They don't have to surgically and go do that. Um, so yeah, it, I, I think if I did it, I would probably go non-surgical because uh, I think of all the cases that I've dealt with, uh, surgical cases where people have got infections and had complications. And if you go on YouTube and you look up Achilles tendon surgery, like it's like, right. And then they pull it, you, it's not a, a very attractive surgery, right? Um, it's not, it's not an arthroscopy. It's, it's like they open you up and they, they pull it down and reattach it. So yeah, that's fascinating to me uh, that, that the human body can do that, but it, it seems credible. Like all the research shows that the return, uh, isn't any different. Uh, I think immediately a lot of people like to have the fact to know that the they've mental. reattached it. Yeah. But it's a mental thing. Yeah. But beyond that, I don't know. I think if you're in sports, they reattach it for that mental reason. But physically, physiologically, it doesn't seem to make a difference uh, from what I've seen anecdotally. I mean, the, the reason I asked you is because I wanted for people that may deal with this or for coaches that are, you know, having clients that deal with this to bring this up and have them ask the doctor. Because if you're yes. not a, if you know, if you're not an NFL and NBA and you're like, hey, I want to get back to play. And like a big part of that is you know, mentally believing that you can get there. Um, and maybe that's, you know, the reattachments, the better part. But if you, you know, have time, which by the way, like you said, it's the same amount of time. But, you know, if you can naturally get that to to heal, and you're given an example that's extreme, by the way. Parkour. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not the forces in parkour. No, par I mean, forces in parkour are bigger than the forces in the NBA. I mean, because you're jumping over insane amounts. I mean, if you're jumping off buildings and you have to absorb that force and roll out of it, I mean, you need your Achilles more, more than yeah, you need. He, he does, you to, know, that thing where they jump and they land on the top of a railing. Yeah. Like a, I, I, I watched that and I'm just like, okay, he's going to blow it again. Right. And then he lands and, you know, but yeah, yeah. It's yeah, serious. That's fascinating. That's fascinating. And by, by the way, okay. So you gave an example of, um, which was really, really cool with, when your son pulled a hamstring. Because one of the things, and, and I've learned a lot of things from you, but the return to play protocols have been excellent. When, you know, people are pull calf, uh, you know, they, they have a hammy pull, which is obviously something that happens a lot for a lot of people. But that you can actually get back, you know, with a very just smart, progressive approach, 
you know, you can get back to play faster than what most people think, right? Because I think I think you give an example of ten days that your son pulled a hand, yeah. like ten days later he had a meet. Yeah, yeah, and it was like Canadian Championships. So, uh, right. so he was playing football, and then they canceled the football program. They they axed it at his university, and so I'm like, okay, we got to do something. Like, uh, why don't we just throw you in some track meets? So I think in late June, um, I threw him in a couple of meets just to say, like, hey, let's see how you do. And he was okay. Um, but then we had Canadian championships coming up and he was going to run a 200, which is pretty demanding. Um, and so 10 days out, I said, I ran him like a couple of a 150, a 120, and just wanted to see him hit some high speeds. And I think at the last set, he uh, pulled up at about 80 meters in and grabbed his hamstring, almost went down. So you're like, oh, okay, that's not good. Um, 10 days out. And so in my head, I'm thinking, well, he's done. That's too close. That's, you know, to run in a competitive 200 meters in front, you know, against tough competition. I don't know. And he's, you know, he's like 19 and he's, you know, I, I thought he would be worried about it. But I said, OK, let's do this. Right. Because he's my son. He doesn't have to sign a liability waiver. Hopefully he can't sue me, but I'm going to be very aggressive with this. Right. He's my lab rat. Right. He sort of trusts me. And so I said, OK, we right after uh, the injury, um, we put some light electrical stim on there just to control pain, uh, just very low intensity uh, peripheral to the injury and uh, did some compression overnight with some. I usually use like a heat rub or something, Tiger Bomb. I, and just again, it's just to make him comfortable next mm -hmm. morning. How do you feel like? Yeah, I feel it. Um, you know, I can't touch my toes or anything like that. So I said, OK let's go to the track. So this is the day after, like that was at about 7 PM. He injured it the next day at about 1 PM. Uh, so less than 24 hours, we went to the track and I'm like, let's go. And we did three sets of 10 by 10 meters at moderate intensity, uh, with some drills to kind of test them at the beginning. And he, he felt it, but it wasn't to the point where it was damaging anymore. It was just kind of like, I always say you feel a bit of a tug in there and I'm like, okay, just go, fast enough so do you feel that tug so we did 30 reps of 10 um next day wakes up in the morning and i did some light massage in the evening around not into the injury but around yep. it and try to create more circulation and all that okay and next day we do five sets of 10 by 10 so 50 reps of 10 and a little faster and then the third day we go do more tens drop a few 15 meters i i always have it equal 100 so seven by 15 and and then we just keep extending it the next day but we do this on consecutive days it's something that he can tolerate so over that nine day period before the meet we might have had one day off but i still made him do upper body lifting uh but we're just dragging it out we got out to 50 60 and then i did a couple of tests at 60 meters at submax and then three days out we got out to 80 and he did two by 80 off the curve um at 95%, we timed it and everything. And I'm like, how are you feeling? He's like, I feel pretty good. So goes into the meet and watching him run the 200. And I'm thinking, okay, at any point, he's going to like fall down. and like, <laughs> I'm going to look like an idiot. But he ran the, the 200 into a headwind, almost ran a personal best. And so I'm like, okay, well, maybe we can impose a demand, just like we were talking about, like it's mm -hmm. progressive and it's something they can handle so that his brain goes, yeah, I can do this, right? And then if as long as you're not excessive, you're not going to create more tissue damage 
but things are going to repair gradually because you've imposed the right amount of stress, like we said, right, the right dosage, and it's progressive. So now thinking about it, it intuitively, it makes perfect sense. But if you're if you're at physio school, and somebody proposes to you, you're like, you're an idiot. Yeah, yep. <laughs> but but for you and me as coaches, it makes perfect sense. So now I'm approaching this with everything like, now I treat every new client as somebody who's injured. And I treat them the same way, same way that I did with my son. Let's get a lot of exposure and the right doses and start opening things up and, and, and you're going to be fine. And if, if I'm dealing with a strength coach and they're handling an injury, I'm saying, just pretend they're a beginner, right? So I've had to do, and strength coaches are pretty good at, at understanding dosages more so than athletic trainers and personal, uh, physical therapists, because that's not their world. Theirs is like healing and uh, modalities and all these things, but progressive exercise isn't necessarily their we wheelhouse. And I'm sure, you know, there's some great PTs who understand that, but most of the time with a lot of people I'm dealing with, I have lots of clients and NCAA programs and I have to sit down and talk with their athletic trainer and say, this is how I want you to dose the exercise over time, whether it's a foot fracture or, you know, lower body injury. Um, and once they understand that, that's really good. But most of the time, the strength coach has to jump in and, and and get them doing the progressive exercise. So I think that's my takeaway from this is that you can have tremendous success in rehab or teaching new people if you just have the right exercise selection and the right dosage of volume and intensity, like you were saying. That's Incredible. such a great point. You know, it's funny because uh, we just had not that long ago, Barbell Rehab. Michael Mash does a great job with this, you know, where it's. The, the mentality behind, and you know, take take somebody, you know, pulling their back or blowing their back out during like a deadlift, right? The, it, instantly, you you know, you might have to have some days of not doing anything, but you actually should, you know, uh, ought to get back to that hinge pattern as soon as possible. But and yes. start loading it like a, you know, you should yes. get back to deadlifting, but loading it at a much lower kind of volume and or and intensity. But getting that pattern back, because part of the issue of what happens is that people get hurt, they stop doing that thing, it gets better, and then they do that thing again. And they detrain. And they detrain it. And it's and it's like, oh, okay, cool. Because they'll be like, oh, this this feels better at the lighter load. Load it, load it, load it, boom. You know, you got a problem again where because you didn't add that the right dose and then progressively increase that dose over time to get that adaptation. And I think that's, you know, the reason I bring it up is because it's similar to what you're saying, but we're now we're going, okay, look, now we're doing this, you know, obviously much higher velocities because it's still sometimes interesting explaining to people is like, Hey, you know, that max deadlift that you did where you were shaking like MC hammer, right? Like, all right. Like the force there doesn't touch anything when it comes to like sprinting, right? Like to, especially if you're going to like max, max speed. So you can't, well, I'm like, yeah, well, I'm training hard and heavy. I mean, like, that's good. That's good. But you, the exposure to speeds, you're going to have to build that up because it's not the same. And so uh, th that's why I, I think it's really, really important. And I think it's very empowering, right? Because I, I mean, I'm a fan of things like kneeling and, and soft tissue work and, you know, good practitioners. Yep. And, and of course, there's a lot of reasons for it, but I definitely think one of them is the mental aspect of it, right? Like, I, yeah. you know, I, I got a little bit of back stuff. I've had a, you know, had a bad back injury, really bad back, like injury 14 years ago. And sometimes some stuff, nervy stuff flares up and I get in my head and I get, you know, my guy here that does PT on me, 
And it's like after the PT, I feel a lot better. All right, cool. Let's load it. Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do this. And it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, I can do that. Right. So there's there's a huge mental aspect to it. And just knowing that there's a plan that gets you there. I'm like, I think that's such an important part. Like, Dude. which by the way, like I any, anybody that's interested in understanding this stuff, like Derek has excellent programs. There's the educational side, but he also has programs of progression of basically from sprinting and getting faster. Um, and, the, the, but the, what I love about them, that's nicely organized for people to understand. It's like, go do this. All right. Now today, go do this. It's a plan. And I, I you know, being in training and personal training, I, you start understanding that if, if you don't have um, a path and a plan, people are uncertain and uncertainty creates anxiety, Absolutely. right? Especially if you have any type of pain and injury. And even as a, you know, professional of 20 years, I mean, shit, we're the same way, right? Like I'll go to a PT and Zach's like, Hey, listen, man, we're going to do this and this and this and this and this and this. And you're like, okay. Right. Even though this is what I study day in and day out, you're kind of like, all right, there's a plan. All right, let's follow the plan. Like if I yeah. follow the plan, I'm going to be, be good. But what we you know, said at the beginning is like, most people have zero plan. It's like, I'm just going to go do this thing. Um, and I, I wanted to actually ask you another question here. When it comes to, you know, um, we, we said, hey, somebody wants to get back to playing ball. And what I tend to do even for myself is this, right? Like I, I've started going now to play, but I go by myself and I do drills, right? And I do drills and I increase the intensity of the drills and I'm just by myself. And then kind of my le next level progression is going to be doing some one-on-one -on -one stuff and then going to some half court three-on-three -three yep. before I actually go to full, full court five-on-five. So, so that there, I mean, it's in some way I'm like, Hey, I can still have the skill of the sport and I can regulate my own intensities and I can also control volume and whether it's the amount of time I'm doing the drills or the amount of shots I'm getting up at certain intensities, but it's not like a, Oh, you guys are doing a summer league. Cool. I'll show up. We got a game on Saturday yeah. game on Sunday. And yeah. all of a sudden I got, I got two days where I'm playing at super high intensity, you know, for 30 to 40 minutes. And whereas, you know, even whatever the sport it is that you do, part of the plan can be like, yeah, let me go do the, the skill of the sport, but let me have some, some type of progression that I can monitor and control before I just go full blast. Cause once you get into a competitive mode, like all of that switches off. Yes. Yeah. Like uh, it's very interesting. Cause even, you know, with other sports I've been involved with, like say soccer, like they like doing a lot of um, like small sided games, like compressed compressed area and like let's work on skills and half court would be like that where it tends to be more uh eccentric you know plyometric because you're in a confined space and you're not going to have longer runs so i would probably do something like okay do some timed half court and then take a break and do some longer sprints like accelerations down the court so that's covered off before you start going to full court mm. right so you're trying to kind of connect the dots and go okay what are we missing because if you're just doing a lot of half court and then like, and then, then you, you have fast breaks. Yeah. That's yep. when somebody's going to pull a hammy, um, you know, and, and probably you go from longer sprints where you hit higher velocity and then the deceleration is more profound too. So as long as you can factor that in, but even just doing like the stuff you do in your gym with the 10 by 10 sprints, that's huge. That's basketball preparation, yep. right. For full court. So yeah, I'm, I'm constantly thinking about, those progressions, what might be missing, how we have to fill those gaps as part of that progression. And just, 
you know, you, I mean, you have to, we've talked about this. You have to be, um, you know, a student of your sport and understand what's involved in your sport. And then that way it's easier to construct your plan around it. Mm-hmm. But if, if you don't think about all the different things that happen in your sport and the durations and the intensities and all that, uh, it's hard to put together that plan. And, and by the way, like the, the 10 by 10s, I highly encourage, uh, have you, you've written articles about it, right? Yeah, I have articles. I have a training, but I'm actually going to spend some time and do an intensive course on it. I'm putting it together now because I, I have that example of my son with the hamstring and just build a whole sort of story around like how this came to be and how I've developed it into performance training, rehab. And it's just such a versatile modality that I think people need to take a deeper dive and understand what the benefits are. So I'll, I'll be talking more about that with you in the future and how awesome. to put that together. Yeah, because I mean, that's one thing that we have used and I use so much. I mean, it's probably out of all the stuff that I've done, um, I don't know, in the last two years for seminar wise, uh, we use that so much. And we use it with general population at, yeah. you know, at the end for, for, and we just build it up throughout the weeks. For, and the thing is, anybody can do it, you know, and you can tell yeah. somebody like, hey, you're just going to do five tens. You know what I mean? Like you're, it started as a rehab progression. So why wouldn't it be safe for everybody, right? Yes, absolutely. And they're just the, the, the range of people that we have. I mean, we got like folks that are like, you know, 62. It just looks different, right? It looks different and you just modify the ranges. But we've, we haven't had anybody ever get hurt from it, right? Or even like meaning even a tweak. Uh, and then what I do with, for instance, uh, with ball players to get some of that lateral movement, for example, we'll do like a five lateral slide and back and then accelerate 10. Right. Yeah. And then, and yeah. we'll do, so we're just kind of doing a little movement, path, but it's you been so modify it. And, and, and oh my God, it's your own little flavor. It's so malleable, it, right? it's so malleable yeah. man. I, I absolutely love it. And I think it's one of those things that if people can grasp and integrate, you'll have a, clients that are way more resilient. Uh, by the way, like, Everybody loves doing it. It's not, yeah, like, yeah. it's not boring. You know, it's, it's, uh, be, because it takes, it doesn't take that long to do. And it's also not exhausting, right? It doesn't make you like die when you're doing it. No, but if you monitor heart rate when you're doing it, it's you pretty, get up over pretty, 150, 160, yep. right? Agreed. So, yeah, why not? Why I do it with all my football players at the end of our, our sprint sessions, we do three sets. Yeah, we got 350 pound guys doing it, right? And, you know, they don't love it, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, it, it's a great alternative to running gassers across the field and back or whatever they do, right? Yeah, and just for anybody that's listening, by the way, I mean, you should definitely dive deeper into it, but 10 by 10s is you accelerate 10 yards, you decelerate 10 yards, and then you go straight back and do it again for 10 yeah. rounds, and that's one set. 90 right? seconds. 90 seconds, and you get about a two and a half minute, three minute break in between. And then you go again and then you just, you build the volume up. And we just had like a, I had a crew of old linemen that was doing this and got up to uh, right before they went back to training camp, they got up to like eight. So like eight, 80, That's great. 80 repetition. We just built it up week by week by week. Um, and man, they were feeling great. They came into camp, you know, I mean, ready, like all the, yeah, all the volume is, it didn't, didn't touch them. 80 reps is more than they'll experience in a game. So you've prepped them. Yeah. Cause it's like, they're, I mean, they're, Maybe on some crazy de- game, game you'll have like 80 snaps, but most of the time you're never going to have 80 snaps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good job. So with, with that said, I, I, there's, I always like to ask this question where it's like, what, what, is, what is some things that you're really digging and 
like diving into right now? I mean, some of them I know because you write about it, but just what's what's intriguing you and making you really dive deeper uh, when it comes to training, sprinting, performance? Right now, I'm just trying to find better ways to measure and explain what I'm doing. Um, because a lot of it is experiential and 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 anecdotal, right? So in in People would say things like, ah, oh, the 10 by 10 is just like an endurance protocol. You know, it's not going to help speed. But then more, I'm doing more measurements around it with laser timing and things. And I'm finding out that it's a speed protocol, too. So I think that's I, I'm trying to, in, you know, like all of us, we're trying to integrate uh, technology intelligently uh, to better understand what we're doing. And I think that's what I'm trying to do now is is is, you know, kind of, you know, I'm. I'm 54 years old, I better start, you know, understanding the tech a bit more and, and modernizing myself, even though a lot of the stuff that I'm doing is kind of old school in origin. So I think that's where I'm spending a lot of time now is I have like, some force plates I'm using, and I'm, you know, trying to get more precise and, and break things down. So I think that's where I'm, I'm spending my time. Which by the way, do you, are you a, a big fan? I mean, when it comes to like, even on a training side of things, like putting up, for instance, speed traps so that you see where somebody's at in the training session and then adjusting things. Yeah, like, uh, I'll be honest, I'm I'm lazy. So, <laughs> you know, setting stuff up and, you know, and if it doesn't work and the iPad doesn't sync with this, it really pisses me off. But, um, you know, uh, I've, I've been working with some people who have better equipment and they've been helping out. So, but I, I think you have to force yourself to measure that. It's so easy to go like, yeah, I know what's going on. But you don't really truly know unless you're keeping tabs on it frequently because things can change, as you know. Um, so you you have to push yourself to do that that piece, I think. Yeah. I mean, because it's like I love that stuff. But again, I agree with you. When you have a lot of things going on, it's very, very easy to, let it slide. to, to, to not do it and to, to let it slide. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out, you know, actually, I, I, I see the force play the guys uh, again on Monday, I think. Um, uh, they're 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 in town, so they just hit me up. But because I w- I would love you know even my facility is to have things set up where it's just like all right, just go there and do that. It's already all set up. Yeah. Because uh, every time I got set it up, it's like oh yeah. And and I would love I don't know if anybody's created this, but something that would be really precise if I can pull up my phone, right, and legitimately t- you know on camera through the app, you know measure somebody's speed and it's precise on a ten yard acceleration or whatever else it may be while I'm looking at the mechanics, that would be they're excellent. Getting, they're getting there. They're getting there to like markerless video analysis, but it's not quite there yet. So yeah, it'll be there soon where you will be able to 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 pull that data. But it's, yeah, it's coming. Okay. That's, that's good to know because I, like, you know, I do a lot. I'm I, You do a ton of that, obviously. But um, in, most of the time when, when I get new guys, like we'll do the video and then like frame by frame, I'm like showing them like, hey, look, here's, you know, yep. the mechanics we want to be at. This is where you're at. Here's what we're going to work on. But to be able to film it and get the numbers, you know, um, I think that would be great. Which, by the way, I I, I was going to, um, you said 1080. There's a, there's another device that I think is very similar. It's called the Run Rocket. Um, yeah, yeah. There's it, a lot of, lot of uh, different devices out there and I like them. You know, they provide resistance, but I like the diagnostic stuff you can pull from it and just go, yeah, okay, yes. what's the what's the rate of acceleration? And so what's their power? And, and yeah, I, I, yeah, like I said, I, I think you need to, like I used to be kind of like sports science, get out of my way, but I think you have to embrace it and understand what you're actually doing. 
Yeah. And I mean, that that's kind of like the, the last part of this that I wanted was, was really those things, even for myself to give me some metrics and go, I am getting better. Right. Um, and yeah. I mean, I, I there's there's times like I had a I remember when I was training Luke Wilson and he's like, ah, it's not, I'm not feeling fast today. You know, and and then we we end up going and we time it. He's the fastest time he ran. I mean, he beat his combine time. It was his PR of life, you know, but it, he wasn't feeling fast. But the thing is, the work that was done, the metrics were like, no, dude, like this is the fastest you've ever run. And and getting that feedback back, I think, is important to make adjustments uh, and, to you know, and to be like, holy shit, like I'm getting better. I think that's a really important thing. Yeah, no, it, yeah, I, I I can't say that enough. Like, and if you're not good at that stuff, then, you know, hire somebody or hang around some young people who are really tuned into that stuff and they can handle it for you, delegate it. But you you, you need to find a way to get that. Like, yeah, I, I'm trying to get my own kids. Like my kids are old enough now. We're like, hey, you figure that out and you tell me how it works <laughs> and we'll get it going. Like, I don't know how to use TikTok. So like, show me how to do that. <laughs> I love it, man. Listen, I mean, I, I've I've already got like a whole new set of questions for the next time we do, you know, we do an episode, um, which is always great because it's like anytime I talk to you, I, I definitely learn a lot and get smarter. Um, I love that you started writing more. What like what are some places that uh, people can both? I mean, definitely, definitely on IG. Uh, what's your Instagram? What are some sites that people can um, learn more about you and and read the new articles that you're writing? Yeah, the Instagram is going to be at Derek M. Hansen um, or at Running Mechanics. And then the, the websites are sprintcoach.com is where I'm going to try to write more. And then just runningmechanics.com is where my courses are offered. So I'm like you said, like I used to write a lot more and then you get away from me like, oh, everybody likes video. So I got to shoot videos. But I think the writing does stick in people's memories a bit more where you kind of forget stuff that you've seen visually. So uh, yes. I spend more time on that. I will confirm writing is not dead. I've started uh, writing a ton, which by the way, too, I'll, I'll, I'll throw it out to you too. If if you'd want to write something for the Vigor site, we're, we're getting a yeah. lot of, yeah. uh, and I'd love to right collaborate there. on some stuff with you yeah. as well. So I would love to actually, I'd, I'd love to do an article on what we just talked about right now and organize it in like a smart progressive way where maybe it's like, Hey, you know, you want to play, you want to play basketball? Here's a program. Here's a progressive yeah. way to do it. I'd, I'd love yeah. that. Yeah, awesome. I, I agree. Let's, let's do it. So I'll, uh, I'll, I'll talk to you offline and, uh, I want to, that, that 10 by 10 masterclass I'm doing, I'm going to like send it to you first and you give me your opinion on it. So awesome guys, listen, make sure hey, go check out. If you want to, if you want to learn more about this and get good at coaching, getting faster acceleration, sprinting, and obviously doing it in a smart way so that you don't get injured. Go to runningmechanics.com. The courses are awesome. I went through all of them. And make sure you follow Derek. With that said, if you love this, the way that more people learn about it is you share it. That's the only thing I ask is pay it forward. Appreciate you guys for being here. Thank you, Derek. Appreciate you being here. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for having me on again, Luca. About to turn it on.